trust in ever till I reach the golden strand just beyond the river in the cross in the cross beam by glory shall find rest beyond the river. Amen. You may be seated. And good evening, church family. Good evening, church family. Boy, that's almost what I preached this morning, wasn't it? Stay close to the Lord and abide in Him. Well, good to have everybody tonight. Appreciate you coming back. I want to, before I go any further, say thank you for your hospitality. We had a wonderful time out at Cracker Barrel this afternoon. Appreciate you all picking that up. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the church, pastor, somebody, but we enjoyed your pastor, his wife, Miss Amy. Of course, th their three children. And uh, you say, what is that when you have dinner and then you have the kids come along? We call that dinner theater. All right. It was a good time. It's a good show. And uh, told my wife, I said, they got some sweet kids. And I know that didn't just happen. And praise the Lord. They favor their mother. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so appreciate that very much. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> there went half my love offering, but that's okay. I got diesel in the tank. <laughs> I wanted to show you a clip real quickly, a second clip of the video production. I almost didn't, but it is earlier tonight, and we have, it's about a seven-minute clip. The fellow you're about to meet is a dear friend of mine. His name is Kenny Grant. Kenny was led to the Lord by the same fellow that led me to the Lord many, many years ago while we both served in the United States Marine Corps. And I never met Kenny till about nine years ago, maybe ten years ago, as we were on the road ministering. We came through his church in the hood in Savannah, Georgia. As you'll see, Kenny is a black preacher. He's a black uh, man and uh, African-American. And uh, Kenny and I have just grown to love each other. We've come through his church many times. Two, three years ago, Kenny was invited to take the ministry in Savannah of a white Baptist church. When I saw Kenny, he, he said some people struggled with that. I said, what do they struggle with, Brother Kenny? He said, you know, I've always been the only chocolate chip in the cookie dough. <laughs> That's what he said. And, and uh, he was named Mr. Savannah last summer. And in tribute for his accomplishments, they played my movie across Savannah Television. I hope you appreciate the story. Kenny has invited me to come and preach at his church. I'll be the uh, special speaker for the Marine Corps Ball two years from now in Savannah, Georgia. And then following that, an outreach at a Walmart in his area, in his community, with our Corvette. And then preaching the Veterans Day service for Kenny and his church family. So enjoy Kenny Grant. He has three le lessons from the drill field. And I hope this is a blessing to you. This is one of 15 stories on the video production. And I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> 
My name is Kenny Grant. I'm a U.S. Marine and a former Marine Corps drill instructor. My senior year in high school, I was a little guy probably weighing 110 pounds at that time. And I remember being so completely impressed with the Marine Corps recruiter who came uh, to our school that I determined it was the United States Marine Corps for me. Being a drill instructor is intense. It is sort of a, an elite group, and it is sort of, there's sort of a mystique that goes around that, but it is so fulfilling because you see from day to day young minds, young men from hometown USA being formed into fighting men. Well, that's nothing like marching the platoon. And nothing quite like the cadence. And they learn how to hear your voice. Uh, I remember uh, times when I was marching my platoon, and if if they were, we were going to chow or something like that at the end of a long hard day, and these guys are hungry and they're trying to beat it to the to the chow hall, and they're trying to make it to this hatch before another uh, drill instructor that's coming gets to that hatch, and so they'll try to step it out a little bit, and I'm there marching them, and I'd have to give them a command, platoon halt, and I I'd, I'd say. Uh, Eyeballs, snap, sir, and they get their eyes on me. And I say, Where are we going, boys? And I'd pick out one. Johnson, where you, why are you running? Why are you not in step? He say, Sir, this recruit thought he was in step, sir. I'd holler out to another one, Why are you not in step? This recruit thought he was in step. First squad leader, why are you not in step? This recruit thought he was in step. And what they thought is because they were in step with one another that they were in step. They had to learn that they were all out of step because they're not marching with me. I am the one calling the cadence. It's not important for them to be in step with one another. It was important for them to be in step with me. Learn to listen to my voice and move at my cadence, move at my pace. And so that's a valuable lesson. And that even translates over to the spiritual. We can look around at one another and I may be in step with you and you may be in step with me. and We may be in step with the guy in front of us and behind us. But we can all be out of step if we are not listening to God's voice. If we are not hearing him and learning how to respond to his voice in our ear. A, a young recruit comes to Paris Island, you know, and in his mind, he's seen these guys on the commercials with their dress blues, you know, and he wants that outfit. He wants that, that uh, he wants to dress like that. He wants to be a U.S. Marine, and he come, he doesn't have a clue as to how to get there. And though the drill instructor may seem to be an enemy, the drill instructor is a friend because the drill instructor has a design to get him to where he'll be glad he's at in three months. The drill instructor knows how to get him there. And if he would just yield to the drill instructor, he will be what he's what he dreams to be, what he desires to be, what he really wants to be. And that's exactly what God has. God has a plan for our lives. And we think we have our own plan. You know, there's a way that seems right unto us, but, but they're futile and they're fatal, in fact. But God has a plan. We don't have a clue as to how to get there. But if we will yield to him, all right, though we may think that his ways 
is harsh. We may not like the route. God knows what's best. And as we yield to him, God will give us life and more abundant life as we yield to him day by day. I am often asked, you know, is there something, do you miss the Marine Corps? And I say I do miss the Marine Corps. It's very fulfilling, uh, very rewarding part of my life. But I'll tell you this, I, I believe with all my heart, I am in the sweet spot in life, being partners with God in the ministry, doing full-time ministry. You know, God uses me to help people to walk with Him. And so, yes, I, I, I miss the Marine Corps, but I have a higher and a nobler call now. Let me just tell you this. When I left Paris Island, my last duty as a Marine, my last function as a Marine was to preach at the recruit chapel at Paris Island. That was the last thing. My, my uh, battalion commander asked me if I would do that. And the last service I did, the last thing I did as a U.S. Marine before I drove off base was preach to a group of about a thousand young recruits and drill instructors, some of my drill instructor buddies, and saw God use me in a tremendous way. And I drove off of Paris Island with tears in my eyes because I knew that I would miss the Marine Corps. But let me just tell you, the very first Sunday we started our church, my daddy walked the aisle to give his life to the Lord Jesus. And I believe God was saying to me, boy, you where you're supposed to be. And I hadn't looked back. I still love the Marine Corps, but I love where I am now in life. I hope you appreciated that story. Amen. And if you're visiting tonight, we want to gift you that video production as our way of saying thank you. We appreciate you being with us. And please, I encourage you on the way out again, take the tracks and invite people to come meet me and hear me speak. And we'll gift them a movie as a thank you for being our guest. Good to have an old friend here, Steve Clymer. Steve, you and I met in 1983 or 1984. There was a time I pastored, what's that? Yeah, uh, and there was a time I pastored you and Miss Debbie. 84, we met. And uh, Brother Steve and I go back a long, long ways. Hello, dear friend. Good to see you. Take your Bibles tonight, and let's go to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Exodus, chapter 3. Once you find your place, if you're able to stand comfortably, stand with me, and I'll know that you have it. Exodus, chapter 3. And I want to begin reading in verse number 13. Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse number 13. The Bible says, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Notice the Lord's response in verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And then he continues in verse 15. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, he says. This is my memorial unto all 
generations. I'd like to begin a series of thoughts tonight drawn from that section of Scripture, focusing on our God and a name he wants to be known by and known as for perpetual generations. I want to preach to you about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, tonight that you are the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And the God and Father of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. Father, we thank you tonight for the honor we have to call you Father. Lord, we recognize tonight it's not our righteousness that affords us this great privilege, but the righteousness of your Son that allows us to come to you so boldly. In his name, we pray your blessing on our time as we consider tonight not only who you are, but Father, by association with these men, how you operate in the world today. I pray tonight we'd see you in all your fullness and all of your glory as the God of Abraham. Should there be someone tonight unsaved, I pray you'd cause them to see their need for your son to be their savior. And then, Lord, I pray for each of us that are redeemed. May we take the truth tonight and may your Holy Spirit wrap it around us. And may we not soon forget it. May we use it for the years ahead. Thank you. You are the God of Abraham. Lord, we pray your blessing on our time now together, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Here we see in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is receiving from God the call to go to Egypt and lead the children of Israel out of captivity. And along the way, he asks a question of the Lord, and the question is basically this, who should I tell them sent me? In his response, God identifies himself in two ways. The first name he gives is a very familiar title. Look at what he says in verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou send to the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. He says, you tell them the always existing God sent you. May I remind you tonight, he's not the great I was. He's not the great I will be. But our God is so immense, he literally swallows up time and eternity. Wherever you go, he's already there. He's the always existing eternal I am. Jesus Christ, in the book of John, commented on this title. The Pharisees, questioning who he was and claiming to be, said this in John chapter 8. He said, before Abraham was, I am. It reminds you tonight, Jesus Christ is not simply the Son of God. He's God the Son. He's the eternal, always existing, great I am. But then he gives a second title, and it's the focus that we'll be looking at the next three nights together. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 15, he gives a second title. And look at that title. God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, he says. This is my memorial unto all generations. He calls himself by a second name. He identifies himself as the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
You take time to read the New Testament in Mark chapter 12. Jesus Christ commented on this title as well. This time dealing with the Sadducees who put a riddle to him concerning eternal life and the resurrection. And he said this to them. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You and I need not move too far from this thought, but our relationship with our God does not end with this life. In fact, more than ever, that's when it really begins. D.L. Moody said it this way. One day you're going to pick up the newspaper. You're going to read the headline. Dwight L. Moody is dead. He said, when you read that, don't you believe a word of that? He said, I'll be more alive than I've ever been. Because our God is not the God of the dead. Our God is the God of the living. But who is tonight the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Could I say this before we move into the thought? That's a very specific title. There's only one God in the whole universe that wants to be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you know tonight, Buddha does not want to be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Did you know tonight, Allah does not want to be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's only one God that wants to be identified with those three men. He's the true and living God. And so tonight, who is he? Maybe the better question tonight, as I move into this thought, would be this. What's in a name? What's in a name? You know, oftentimes names are chosen to represent someone or something. To picture something, if you will. A classic example would be me and my twin brother, Doug. Doug and I, Summerdorf twins, were the first surviving twins beyond infancy for two centuries in our family. All other twins in the Summerdorf family died in infancy. Doug and I alone grew up and uh, are still both of us here on earth. As such, we were very special to our parents and to our, our lineage and to our family. And so my parents chose to name us in a very particular way to associate with us, uh, associate us with both sides of the family. We bear the same initials, D-W-S. Doug, was his middle name was used to denote the matriarchal side of the family. Douglas William Summerdorf, William being my mother's, father's name, George William Burquist. And so Doug's middle name denoted the matriarchal side, but my middle name was intentionally selected to represent the patriarchal side. My name is David Waldo Summerdorf. You've been looking for that guy for a while, haven't you? <laughs> Here he is. Need look no longer. Need look no further. Everything but the striped hat. My name, my middle name, was chosen to represent the patriarchal side. My father's mother, her maiden name was Mildred Waldo, and her last name as a maiden, her maiden name was chosen to be my middle name so that both Doug and I represented both sides of the family. Our names were not chance. Our names were not random. That association was choice. And I say tonight, of all the names God could have chosen, He wants to be identified with three, these three men. And I believe there's purpose in that. I don't think it was chance. I think it's choice. And I think there's something God wants you to understand about Him and His association with each of these men that represents a way He deals with you and the way He operates with me.
And so tonight, who is the God of Abraham? Go to Genesis chapter 12 with me, and let's go back and take a brief look at Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, we have what's referred to as the Abrahamic covenant. And very quickly you will see this covenant is a covenant of favor and blessing. Look what's said in Genesis 12, in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Here in Genesis chapter 12, we see Abraham come up and do our review and come up for our consideration. And we see here God make a, a proclamation and a promise to Abraham we know as the Abrahamic covenant. Let me say tonight, I believe this covenant is in effect today. It is a covenant of favor and a covenant of blessing. Five times the word bless is used in some form or another in those three verses. I believe tonight the nation that blesses Israel gets blessed. And I believe tonight the nation that curses Israel gets cursed. I believe that covenant is in effect right now. And it's one of the few strands of blessing America still enjoys from her God. Because we bless the Jewish people through that nation called Israel. But it's a covenant of favor and blessing. God chose Abraham. God favored Abraham. And God chose his lineage and his genealogy, the Jewish people and the nation of Israel in particular. You ever ask the question, what makes them so special? I remember when I was newly saved and began to study the nation of Israel out and the Jewish people. I remember thinking, what makes them so special? Not just the Jew in general, but that nation of Israel in particular. It cannot be her population tonight that makes her special. Of the 204 nations in the world, she's an insignificant nation by population. It cannot be her popularity tonight that makes the nation of Israel so special in the world. Surrounded by her enemies, she's despised by almost everyone in the Middle East. It cannot be her personal boundaries. She's the least of nations. Her entire geographic landmass is smaller than the state of New Jersey. And yet this insignificant little speck of a nation enjoys incredible prominence, notoriety, influence, and, and, and incredible, uh, if you will, uh, incredible influence in the world today. You sometimes pick your newspaper up and she's in the news almost every day, sometimes in the front. You say, well, what makes her special? It's not who she is, but it's whose she is. Psalmist said this, speaking of the nation of Israel, speaking of the Jewish people, speaking of the blessings God had poured out upon her, he said, he blessed her because thou hadst a favor unto her. Who is the God of Abraham tonight? You might want to write this down. You're going to, you want to write this down because when we get to Tuesday night's message, you're going to try to figure my thought out before I start preaching it. Some of you are going to come running up to me and saying, is, is the God of Jacob this? You're going to try to figure it out. Who's the God of Abraham? He's the God who favors his people. All right? 
I'm going to say that again. Who is the God of Abraham? What can we learn of his association with Abraham? It's this. The God of Abraham is the God who favors his people. I want to share this. As we move into this thought tonight, and trust me, it's going to come down, and it's going to land in your lap and hit you and hit me so hard tonight in a sweet way. But I want you to think about something here. There is great power in the favor of another. There is incredible power in the favor of another. The favor of another placed upon an individual or entity can literally transform them and change them forever. It can lift them from obscurity and put them up in prominence. It can transform them from insignificance and lift them up to unimaginable glory. The favor of another is so powerful that it can set something apart from all others and can take the common and make it special forever. There is great power in the favor of another. And all through your Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, there's a thread of favor and blessing that travels through your Bible. And as it travels, it touches people and things. And what it touches, it transforms them and changes them forever. The favor of God on a little insignificant nation we know as Israel today has taken her from the least of nations and lifted her up and made her front page news almost every week around the world. But watch it travel. Watch it wend its way to a little woman named Ruth. Go to Ruth chapter 1. Watch this thread of favor and blessing wend its way through the word of God. In Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, just before the books of the kings, we find a little Moabitish woman named Ruth. And notice in your Bible, as you're turning to Ruth chapter 1, you will see very quickly that Ruth does not boldly burst upon the scene of your Bible. No, she slinks into the camp of Israel in shame and insignificance. Notice in verse 22 of Ruth chapter 1, the Bible says, So Naomi returned. Oh, and Ruth the Moabitess, Ruth chapter 1, verse 22, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and Ruth chapter 1, verse 22, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Notice here, Ruth, when she shows up in your Bible, she doesn't show up with fanfare. She follows behind her mother-in-law and returns to the camp of Israel, this little speck of insignificant womanhood. She slinks into the camp of Israel in shame and insignificance. And if she shows up in Ruth chapter 1, she arrives in the camp of Israel, first of all, as a woman. In that economy of time, that made her a liability. Second of all, not just a woman, she was a widow. That made her a burden, not a blessing. She shows up furthermore as an enemy, not a friend of the camp of Israel. And on top of that, she was a Moabite. She was an object of derision and scorn. Her lineage was the incestuous relationship from Lot 
with his two daughters and she was the one that everybody talked about as she walked down the street. She was south of the tracks. And let me tell you something, this little speck of insignificant widowhood and womanhood, she should have been swallowed up by time centuries ago and forgotten forever. You and I shouldn't even know today she even existed. This little nobody. But along the way, somebody set his favor upon her. Look in chapter 2. His name is Boaz. In chapter 2 of Ruth, in verse 5, the Bible says, Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel, speaking of Ruth, is this? He notices her. She doesn't see him. And we see he places his favor upon her. Look at this demonstrated in verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Look at what he says in verse 9. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. And go, go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Look at verse 15. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And verse 16, Let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. Boaz sets his favor upon her. He affords her protection. He affords her provision. And he redeems her and buys her unto himself. He says to his young men, don't touch her. And he says to Ruth, when you go ahead and get out there, he said, those young men, they're not going to touch you. In fact, when you get thirsty, they're going to serve you. I have them serving you. He tells his young men, when you see what line she's on, when she's going to go through and glean, he said, let that bag tip a little bit and put a pile of grain for her to pick up when she comes along. He affords her protection. He gives her provision. At the risk of marring his own name, he redeems her unto himself. And notice she notices this. Look at what she says in verse 10. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? She sees it. She sees his favor undeserving. She cannot believe someone would care for her like that. Someone would go ahead and extend himself in such a way. And listen, though Ruth, though Ruth begins in the book of Ruth in shame and insignificant, by the time you get to the end of this book, her life ends in glory and unbelievable prominence. You find she becomes a great grandmother of King David. She finds herself in the lineage of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. An entire book of the Bible is written in her honor tonight. And millions around the world to this day, centuries later, still read about this little woman. You say, what could take... Somebody that should have been swallowed up by time and, in turn, and take her from nothingness and lift her to such a place of prominence. The favor of a Boaz, a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. You starting to see it tonight? It's not that. It's the favor placed on that that literally changes that person forever. The favor of God on a little nation has lifted her from obscurity to prominence. The favor of a kinsman redeemer named Boaz on a little speck of widowhood has taken her from nothing and put her in the lineage of the Messiah. Amen. Try and get you a seat tonight. 
There's power in the favor of another. Watch it wend its way through. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 9 and it taps a dead dog named Mephibosheth. In 2 Samuel chapter 9. In 2 Samuel chapter number 9 in the books of the kings. Saul has died and David is the new king. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Saul has died and David is the new king. And as he comes to the throne in chapter 9 in verse 1, David asks what I call the king's question. Listen to the question in verse 1. Scripture says in 2 Samuel 9, 1, And David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul? Now we see his intent for asking that. But every king that comes to the throne asks about any males in the lineage of the prior king to see if they're still alive. And he asks what I call the king's question to find any potential competition in the future and to eliminate it so he can consolidate his power. He said, is there any yet of the house of Saul? He asked the king's question. They give David the answer in verse 3. Ziba said unto the king, halfway through verse 3, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. In verse 4, the king said unto him, Where is he? And they tell him. Look at verse 5. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Macher. And notice verse 6. Notice Mephibosheth's response. Notice his, how, he deport, how his deportment is in verse 6. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And Mephibosheth and David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David drew back his breath to pronounce sentence. Wouldn't you love been back there that day? Wouldn't you love back, just to roll back the clock in time and stand with me and look out over the nation of Israel. As the herald goes sweeping across from city to city and village to village, David is king! Hail King David! David is king! Hail King David! As all the nation rejoiced, one heart fell. Mephibosheth. The grandson of Saul, the only lineage left. He'd watched his grandfather Saul lie about David. He watched his grandfather Saul try to kill David. He watched his grandfather make David's life a proverbial hell on earth. And as David came to power and grandpa was gone, and even his own father Jonathan, as the herald went out, the Phibosheth knew his days were numbered. Sure enough, it wasn't long thereafter. He hears the harnesses of the horses. He hears the rattle and clank of the armor. And, the, and then... A knock on his door. He's lame at his feet. He has nowhere to hide. He cannot escape this king. And his servant comes in and says, Mephibosheth, the king requests your presence at the palace. And don't you know, when Mephibosheth was brought to David that day, he knew he was going to die. He knew it. His only hope could have only been, may it be quick, May it be as painless as possible, but he knew he was going to die that day. That's why he fell on his face at David's feet. And I'd have loved to have been there that day when they brought him in and he came before the king. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, Behold thy servant on his face. I'd have loved to been down there that day just watching Mephibosheth's face, knowing 
already knowing what the king was going to say. David draws back his breath to pronounce sentence. And you can just see Mephibosheth just like this. And David says what? What are the two words? Fear not. I could imagine Mephibosheth kind of sitting there for a bit. Thinking, did I hear that right? I didn't expect those words. And even as he processes the king's statement, fear not, the the king continues on. Look at verse 7. I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake. Mephibosheth, I'll restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And look at his response. He bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Do you see it tonight? Do you see the power and the favor of another? Do you see it? The favor of God on a nation called Israel has taken her from nothing and put her up in the, among the great nations tonight. The favor of a kinsman redeemer named Boaz took a little speck of Moabitish widowhood and took her and put her up in the lineage of the Messiah. And the favor on a king, of a king took a dead dog like Mephibosheth and took him from certain death and put him in the palace and gave him the king's bounty to eat for the rest of his years. There is power in the favor of another. But this thread travels to you and I. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 and watch this come visit you tonight and come visit me in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 11. I want you to see tonight that God of Abraham is the God who favors his people. In Ephesians chapter 2, look with me here, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 11. Ephesians 2 and verse 11 begins with two words. He says, Ephesians 2 and verse 11, he says, Wherefore, remember. Two words. Now let me say tonight, when God tells you to remember something, it's probably going to be good advice because it's something we will easily forget if we're not careful. And God says this. Here's what I want you to remember. Look with me in Ephesians 2 and verse 11. He says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. You said, what in the world was that? What was I supposed to? I don't even know what that said. And I'm supposed to remember it? What he's doing there is he's making a comparison between Jew and Gentiles, and this is what he's saying. Remember, you were a Gentile, not a Jew. That's all he's saying. Don't forget, you're a Gentile, not a Jew. I would imagine tonight most of us are Gentiles. Do we have any Jews tonight? Any Jews here tonight? Any Jews tonight? You say, well, I've never been asked that. Am I a Jew or a Gentile? If you have to ask... You're a Gentile. <laughs> Jews know who Jews are. Amen? Y'all with me? So you're Gentile. So nobody raised their hands. So, so what we're being told to remember in verse 11 is for every single person here under the sound of my voice, we Gentiles. What is it that God wants us to remember? Look with me in verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ. Gentiles? There was a time you traveled this earth without Jesus Christ. You weren't born a Christian. You all with me? 
Oh, there, there are no grandchildren in the household of faith. It's children only. You were born physically, but you have to be born again spiritually. And there was a time that I wandered for 18 years without Jesus Christ before I became a believer. And if you're here tonight and you're still unsaved, you're yet wandering without Him. But as Gentiles without Christ, look what we had. Look at verse 12. That at that time you were without Christ, here's what we were. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers from the covenants of promise. We had no hope and were without God in this world. Huh. Pretty bleak. You know, I think sometimes we forget that there was a time that if you wanted to meet the God of this whole universe, you had to go to a Jewish camp to find him. He didn't hang out with the Gentiles. He was the God of Israel alone. You with me? You say, well, where were we? I mean, where were we in that picture for centuries? That's how this world operated. He was their God. He wasn't ours. Where were we? We were the ones, according to Ephesians 2, that were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers from the covenants of promise. Those were Jewish covenants, not Gentile covenants. The Davidic covenant, the New Covenant, the Palestinian covenant, even the Abrahamic covenant. Those promises were given to the Jew, not the Gentile. Those were their promises, not ours. He was their God, not our God. You say, well, where were we? Hey, we were outside looking in. If you could roll back the clock centuries, for centuries this is how it existed. Here was how the approach to God operated. It was extremely restricted and extremely limited. The closest place to God was a place called the Holy of Holies. It was the smallest room in the temple. And only one man got face to face with God one day out of the year, the Day of Atonement. He was the high priest. That was the smallest room, closest to God, highest in the temple. One man got to speak to God face to face, and he better have innocent blood or they were pulling him out dead. Then you took a step down, the room got a little bigger, a little further from God. This was one group of men in the holy place called the Kohanim. Then you took another step down and went a little further, and now you had what they called the inner court. That was one tribe. The tribe of Levi, they ministered. And then you took another step down, and it got further from God and lower down and a little bigger. And there you had the outer court. That was the court of the Jewish men. And then, outside of that and further down, was the court of the Jewish women. Where were we Gentiles? We were the furthest out, and we were the lowest down. We were like little kids at Christmas trying to see what was going on. Shekinah glories over there. That's their God. That's their promises. He's hanging out with them. We were outside looking in. You were the lowest out and the furthest out down. And you had no access to the God of this universe. Look at Matthew 15 and watch this. A perplexing portion of Scripture in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 15. Look what's said here. In Matthew chapter 15, there was a time we were without Christ as Gentiles. And He wasn't our God. Those weren't our promises. We had no access 
before him. In Matthew chapter 15, and notice this in verse number 21, or verse number 20, or verse number 21 of Matthew 15, we see the Syrophoenician woman here, and listen to what's said here in Matthew 15 and verse 21. It pictures what you and I were before the finished work of Calvary. Then Jesus went thence and departed in the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Look at verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Look at verse 23. But he answered her not a word. He ignored her. You say, why? She asked as a Jew would ask. She petitioned him as son of David, and she was a Gentile. That wasn't her right. And he ignored her. The disciples beseech her to leave. And notice what he says in verse 24. He answered and said, I'm not sent up but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And look at verse 25. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, that's a Gentile title. She now calls upon him as a Gentile. And look at what she asks. Help me. Well, that's a short prayer, isn't it? Lord, help me. And look at what he says in verse 26. He answered and said, it's not meat to take the children's bread, the Jewish promises, all that belongs to the Jewish people, the children's bread, and to cast it to dogs, a Gentile dog. And she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Lord, I don't need all the promises, Lord. I don't want all of that. All I want is just a little help. But in it I see something fascinating. Before the finished work of Calvary, the best you and I ever were, were Gentile dogs under a Jewish table of blessing. He was not our God. Those were not our promises. We had no right and no access. But then this someone came along. Go back to Ephesians 2 and watch it change. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, look at the change that takes place with this incredible Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, to put it in context, pick it up in verse 12 again with me. In Ephesians 2 and verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now watch it change in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, praise the Lord, ye who sometimes were far off, way out there, trying to get into where God was, you're brought Near, you're brought near to this God by the blood of Christ. And look at how he changes us in verse 19. Now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Could I remind you tonight that, that your baptism didn't bring you into the eternal favor and blessing of the God of this universe? Y'all with me? The fact that you're an American doesn't mean one silly little thing to the God of this universe. That does not put you on the right hand of favor with Him. Do you understand tonight the fact you're a Baptist? That did not bring you into the eternal favor and blessing of the God of this universe. Do you know tonight your righteousness and your religion does not bring you into the eternal favor and blessing of the God of this entire universe? 
There's only one who brings you into the eternal favor and blessing of the God of this universe. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. He's the one that exposed the Holy of Holies. He's the one who through his death, burial, and resurrection said, Whosoever will may now come to this God. He's the one that brings someone into the eternal favor and blessing of the God of this universe. And let me say this. It's only the righteousness of Jesus Christ that keeps you in the eternal favor and blessing of the God of this universe. You're going to shout about something. Don't you shout about you tonight. Don't you shout about how good you think you are or how bad you think you're not. There's only one that broke down all those walls and took us from way out there and gave us boldness through his blood to come to the creator of this entire universe. His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He's the game changer. Amen? He's the one that changes it all. And now for each of you that's placed your faith in what he did 2,000 years ago, you're no longer common now. You're special You belong to him, and you belong to the God of Abraham. And the God of Abraham now favors you forever because you're his people. Look in Galatians. Watch this. Just turn two pages back from Ephesians. Just turn two pages back. And look at this in Galatians uh, chapter 3. And look at what's said here. It says in verse 14 of Galatians 3 that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. And look at verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. And look at verse 29. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Wow. Oh. And now tonight, for those of us that have trusted Christ, we're identified with Abraham through the seed of Abraham. And this God of Abraham, he favors us, his people. I remember one time this happened to me. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You know, a big group of people, a big crowd. Maybe it's a state fair. (laughs) Maybe it's a Walmart. (laughs) You know, just a pile of people. I was coming through Austin, Texas. I dropped by on a business trip to visit my brother Doug. And as I'm coming down the escalator, I got my briefcase in one hand. I got my garment bag over my shoulder. As I'm coming down the escalator, I look to my left, and there's a sea of humanity, people like ants, all trying to find their baggage, you know, scurrying around. And then I look to the right, there's another sea of humanity, same thing. As I'm coming down the escalator, this was my thought. What makes you special? I mean, in the sea of humanity, just like everyone else, I'm just trying to make it. You know what I'm saying? I thought that thought... What makes me so special? And then this thought came right up. It's like the Lord said, oh, you're special because you belong to me. Do you remember the day you moved from his wrath to his favor? Do you remember the day you went from his left hand to his right hand as you trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior? When that happened, this God became your God. And as the God of Abraham, he now favors you because you belong to him.
Two things I know. Number one, write these down as we close. Number one, the God of Abraham favors and blesses us, first of all, in this life. All right? I'm going to say that. That's not a prosperity gospel. That's just the heart of our God. The God of Abraham favors and blesses his people in this life. Listen to what the psalmist said. He saw, said this in Psalm 37. He said, I've been young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Amen? He said in Psalm 66, 68, verse 19, Blessed be the Lord our God, that daily loadeth us with benefits. The God of Abraham favors and blesses his people, first of all, in this life. Years ago when I was working up there in Fairbanks, Brother Steve, you remember I ended up getting a franchise for Rainbow and was working up there. And I remember <clears throat> as, as I moved my headquarters into the Wasilla area and Anchorage area, I began to train every person that came into my company. At one point I had 43 people working for me. I remember as, as they would come in, I would personally train them, and they stepped into a business that from a leadership perspective, most of us were saved. And so our vocation also became our avocation. We felt we owed them the gospel. And I'll never forget the day a young lady came to work for me. Her name was Ingrid Ling. Ingrid was a multi-generation, multiple-generation Seventh-day Adventist. Now what that simply means, and Seventh-day Adventism teaches, that Jesus is the down payment for your eternity, and then every month you've got to send in your obedience and righteousness coupon, or he repossesses your eternity. All right? Now, let me just tell you something. Jesus doesn't give probation. He gives salvation. There's a huge, huge difference. He cleanses you from all your sin, past, present, and even future. All right? Praise the Lord. That's just who he is. So Ingrid came in, and we began to witness to her. She had a knowledge of the Word of God and the things of God, and she was convinced that she had the favor of God for all eternity. She felt she was fine. But we would nudge her and witness and give a verse and love on her and shame. And then one night, the inevitable happened. My phone rang. About 11 o'clock at night, it was Ingrid. And she said, Dave, Mr. Summerdorf? I said, yeah, Ingrid. She said, I've come to the conclusion I'm lost. I'll never forget that call. I'll never forget my answer. Immediately I said, that's good. And on the other end, she said, no, that's, that's not good. We laughed about that. We talked about this summer. Last summer, this last summer, I was up there. We chattered about that. She just laughed about that. She says, "I remember that." She said, "What do I do?" And I'm not into that one, two, three, pray after me stuff. I just, I never prayed a prayer when I got saved. I, I like to introduce him to the Lord. He loves him more than I do. Then I like to, you know, just kind of let them get to know each other and and manifest, and then have them come to the knowledge of who they are and who he is and then why they need Jesus. And so I said, Ingrid, you got a Bible? Yes, sir. I said, here, I want you to write these verses down. I gave her a series of verses. First John 5, 11 through 13. Uh, John 14, 6. Go to Romans 3. Make sure you write that one down. Romans 3, uh, 10. And Romans 3, 23. And I gave her a series of verses to read. And I said, Ingrid, we're going to pray for you tonight. Deb and I are going to pray for you. And I want you to just get along with God and read those verses and let him speak to your heart and show you who you are, who he is, and who you need. So she promised to read, and we promised to pray. Next morning, the phone rings. <laughs> About 8 in the morning, which Alaska time is flat, the middle of the day. I mean, that is the middle of the night. 8 in the morning's early up there. We, we stayed up late. And as I answered the phone that morning, 
I heard this little, I said, Summerdorf, somewhat groggily, and she said, Brother Dave? I went, Brother Dave? Ingrid? Brother Dave? Whoa. I said, Ingrid? She said, yeah. I said, what's up? She said, you'll never believe what happened to me. Last night I was reading those verses you told me to read. Just got alone with God and asked him to deal with my heart. And I got saved. I got saved last night, and I don't know what, what, what everybody else feels, but for me it was like this incredible burden and shackle was lifted off my soul. What else would somebody say trying to keep 613 commandments? They're not 10, they're 613. Man, she got baptized, joined the church, started to pray for her husband Shane. That's a whole nother story. Shane got saved eight years later. But I'll never forget she comes to me about three months into her Christianity. And she says, Brother Dave, I need you and Deb to pray for something. I said, what's that? Me and Shane, you know, we're going to buy a house. We'd like to buy a house. But we don't have the greatest credit, and, and we sure like to get out of the rental market. Could you just pray that God would help us? I said, sure. She said, well, we're applying for the loan today, and, and we're hoping in the next couple weeks to get an answer. And so we promised to pray, and she applied. And a week or two later, she called me all excited. She said, Brother Dave. She said, I can't believe this, but I just got off the phone with a loan officer. You remember we were asking prayer? I said, yeah. She said, well, I just got off the phone with a loan officer, and here's what she said to me. She said, Mrs. Ling? She said, uh, this is the loan officer for so-and-so bank or credit union. And we want you to know there were 82 applications, 82 individuals applied for the house you and your husband Shane applied for. And we want you to know of all 82, you and your husband Shane had the worst credit of all 82. And we honestly don't know why we're doing this, but we've chosen to let you have the mortgage. I'm a businessman. I ran three-quarter of a million through my accounts. I know that doesn't just happen. And then she began to cry. She said, Brother Dave, as messed up as we are, why would we get the loan and not everyone else? I said, Ingrid. I said, there's only one reason I can think of. It's the God of Abraham. You belong to him. And because of that, you're no longer common. You're special. And he favors you. Now, do not go to seed on this. Some have. But do you know there's times that like Boaz, we're not in any position to even deserve a blessing. But for sake of his son, He'll go ahead and just tip the bag and give you something you don't deserve. Just to remind you, you serve a good God, not a bad God. My Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads me to repentance. For in that goodness, I see who I am compared to Him. And I recognize how much I need Him. <coughs> God of Abraham favors his people in this life. I remember when we started in this ministry in the year 2000, Brother Steve, Brother Pastor Van Manen, we started into evangelism. My wife and I and six children, a 30-foot gas rig, submarine warfare, poosh, room for everything but an attitude. 
And if you know anything about evangelism, it's different than pastoring and it's different than missionaries when it comes to the bakshish part of it. It's commission only. You don't preach, they don't pay. This is the way it works. I must have a very high tolerance for risk because I absolutely love this ministry. But as we got started, we knew only nine or ten pastors. And if you know anything about a calendar with 52 months in a year, one pastor per month, you're burning through the year pretty fast. You're burning through that list really fast. And I remember my first few meetings, they just, they just stand out. I remember meeting number one was my hometown in Minnesota. My mom and dad had all kinds of teachers and classmates. Over 60 people lined up to hear me preach. And we had a, a, Saturday, a, a Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday meeting planned. And literally four days before we got to that church, my kids were scheduled to sing, I'm ready to preach. The town's showing up. The preacher resigns the church and takes his keys with him and locks us out of the building. That was meeting number one. One down, nine to go. Meeting number two was in Montana. Brother Will Zeiler. <laughs> Will forgot I was coming. Close friend. <laughs> I get there Saturday night and I show up. Will's nowhere to be found. I couldn't raise him with radar for three days. I show up. The assistant pastor's there. He says, who are you? I said, I'm the guest speaker. The who, he says. That was meeting number two. Two down, eight to go. Meeting number three was in Kalispell. Keith Sibbert who had started a little church in his house. He was mission work. His daughter Mandy was a blonde. And she gave me directions on how to get there. And I should have gotten there two hours early, but I show up five minutes late. We have a full Sunday through Friday conference, a little church of 12 people. That was meeting number three. Three down, Pastor Van Manen, seven to go. And I'm going to tell you, I started wondering if I had spiritual leprosy. I'm starting to think I missed the call of God. It is getting lean. I Man, it's like we left Alaska with $50 a month from our home-sending church sent us on our way. And I'm wondering, whoa. And we were getting stretched. We were getting squeezed. But I'll never forget meeting number four. How was that Brother Gary Priss church over in Oak Harbor and my old Navy buddy, Dave Merrifield, my dad always called him Merriweather, Goofy Dave. He came up to me and he said, hey, Brother Dave, I heard you're in evangelism. I said, yeah. He said, I, I wonder, could you come over and preach for Dad? Now, Dad was his father-in-law, Brother Long, over in Brewster, Washington. Anybody know where Brewster, Washington is? Yeah, yeah that's about where it is. He was over there starting a, a mission work with Spanish-speaking migrant workers. That's what that town is known for. It's a rough, rough town. And so Brother Dave says, listen, he said, do you have, uh, Brother, uh, my dad would, love to, dad would love to have you over. He said, uh, do you have any openings? And I remember going to the opening up my planner. I said, yeah, pick a month, man. Pick a week. And so he got a hold of his father-in-law. He picked a week. And over our little entourage headed to Brewster, Washington. It's the middle of nowhere, close to the that big dam. What dam is that over there in Washington? Grand Coulee Dam. It's an hour from the Grand Coulee Dam. The flat dab, the middle of nowhere. It's a ratty little migrant. It's tough turf. It is tough turf. And he had a little mission work with about 15 people there. 
half of which were his own family, his daughter, his son-in-law, and their four kids. The name of the church was Bible Way Baptist Church. And the little youth group was called the Bible Way Baptist Burden Bearers. Say that fast three times. And I'll never forget. Remember that, hon? We came over there. We came in that very first service. And as we got there, Pastor Long said, Summer Doors, come up, come up. And he lined us up in front of the whole church, myself, and then Deb, and then Kimberly, Karen, Kevin, Robin, Chandra, Stephen, all six. And back then, the oldest was 15, the youngest was seven. Just a little singing group getting started. And he said, Summerdorfs, we're so glad you came. And the Bible Way Baptist Burden Bearers, which were his grandkids, have gifts for you. And here they come. Here come his kids. They got little bags with tissue stuffed in the top. And they handed Dev and I a bag. And then Kimberly, Karen, Kevin, Robin, Sean, Steve, they all get their own little bag. And he said, we just want to thank you for coming. We appreciate you being here. And then I started the conference. That night as we got to our motorhome in the RV park, the kids, after we settled down, said, Dad, 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 can we open those bags? I said, sure. Sure. And so starting with the youngest, little Stephen opened his and began to pull out items. And as we went through one at a time, it was like Christmas. Those bags matched every one of my kids. I do not know how they did it. It had to be of the Lord. For every single item was something my children wanted, had talked about. It was a match for each of them. And you know how it is. It's a blessing watching your kids get blessed. They've been through a tough time. It was tough being on the road, being in a fishbowl, on display, ripping them out of their home and all their friends and taking them across America. It was good. And then the kids turned to Deb and I said, Mom, Dad, what's in your bag? And I remember reaching in, pulling the tissue out. The first thing I pulled out was an envelope. I opened that one up. There were two envelopes. And it was a $60 coupon, a gift certificate for that kangaroo joint, the Outback Steakhouse. Rockhampton ribeye, here we come. You know what I'm saying? Man, it was a blessing. And then I reached in and pulled the other envelope out. And inside was a check for $1,000 from this little... 15-person mission work. I thought, what? I, I remember I saw that. I went, oh, the secretary dropped a zero in there. She wasn't supposed to drop. You know, that's what I thought. I remember we didn't have cell phones back then. We were using calling cards and pay phones, you know. I couldn't even call to find out <laughs> if there was an error there. The next morning, old Dave, he pulls up. Hey, old goofy Dave, here he comes. He says, hey, Mayweather, get over here. Get over here. He says, yeah, what, what, what? I said, what's up with that check? What's well, your love offering? I said, no, no way. No way. Somebody meant, no. He said, that's, I said, how can you guys do that? And I'll never forget what he said. Well, ever since we started this thing a year and a half ago, we set a little bit aside every week for special speakers. We just let the fun grow and grow. And when somebody comes, we give them what's in there. Brother Dave, nobody was ever dumb enough to come except you. <laughs> you got the fund. <laughs> In the evangelistic realm, I hit free parking. I shared that one time, and a missionary came up to me and said, Now, where was that church, and when was the last time you were there? You know what I'm saying?
But no one will ever understand how much I needed that. And that that was not the money. It was this little notice from God saying, I know right where you are. And you may be cast down, but you will never be forsaken. My eye is on you. You are the apple of my eye. My children would sing that song. Keep me, Jesus, as the apple of thine eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. Keep thy hand upon me lest I die. Keep me, Jesus, as the apple of thine eye. You trusted this seed of Abraham? This Savior who came to save you from your sin? If you have, you are no longer common. You're the apple of the Father's eye. And His eyes upon you, and He favors you for His Son's sake. He favors and blesses His people in this life. And then go to Luke 12 and we're done. In Luke 12, He favors, the God of Abraham favors and blesses His people in the next life as well. In Luke chapter 12, look at what's said here. He's addressing the disciples. And look at what He says in Luke chapter 12 and verse number 32. In Luke 12 and verse 32... Speaking to his disciples, he says these words, Luke 12, 32. He says, fear not, little flock. Why? For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let me put it in perspective. As a nation... For decades, and I watched it as a kid on black and white television, as a nation to show its favor and honor a blessing upon somebody, our nation would do something special for them. Maybe a war hero, maybe an astronaut in the space race. They'd give them a ticker tape parade down the streets of New York City, put them on national television. At the end of the parade, somebody of great importance would hand them the key to that city for the day. What that symbolized was this. Everything was paid for. It was on the house. Any meal they wanted, any show they wanted to watch, any hotel they wanted to stay at, it was all free and paid for by another. And our nation to show its favor and blessing upon those it wanted to honor would give them the key to a city for a day. But the God of Abraham's way, way bigger than that. For those he favors and wants to bless, he doesn't give us the key to a city for a day. He gives us his kingdom forever. You say, why? (laughs) Why would he do that for me? It's not you, it's his son that gave you the favor that you now taste. But it is an easy answer. He does it because he's the God of Abraham. And the God of Abraham favors his people. 
The psalmist said this God is our God. <laughs> and he'll be our guide even unto death. May the God of Abraham tonight be your God. For if he is, you are forever special and eternal favor, eternally favored through the seed of Abraham, his son. This God is your God. And he favors you, his people. Let's stand and commit this thought tonight. The God of Abraham is the God who favors his people. Father, we thank you tonight for who you are. Father, thank you tonight for how you operate as the God of Abraham, a God who favors his people. I pray for that one tonight. Father, they are not enjoying your favor. In fact, because they've rejected your son time and time again, it's not your favor but your wrath that rests upon them. They are not an object of delight, but their unforgiven sin makes them an object of wrath and their one heartbeat away from experiencing what you already see. Lord, I pray tonight their faith would find a resting place in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone gives us boldness to enter into your presence, who alone has broken down the walls of partition that have separated us from thee, who alone, Lord, has taken us from outside and brought us in and made us no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of your household. Lord, how I pray tonight, you'd open their eyes to their need for Jesus Christ. And then for we the redeemed, Lord, help us to glory in this Lamb, to glory in your Son, to see that had he not come, we would have forever been outside looking in. And Lord, help us to recognize that no matter what happens in this life, your eye is upon us for good, not evil. You favor us because we are your people. Lord, bless this thought. Wrap it around us. May we use it long after, even tonight. And thank you as the God of Abraham. We thank you for your eternal favor and blessing through your Son. We ask and pray this in his name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Heads about eyes are closed. Music playing softly. You want to slip out and come? We give an opportunity to respond. Kneel down where you are. Just give me an opportunity. Music's playing softly. The God of Abraham is the God who favors his people. Guess it would be appropriate tonight to ask, is he yours? Could you tell me about the day this God became your God? I can't think of one person in the entire universe that doesn't want the favor of their creator. You want him to look at you with kindness. You want him to shed his mercy on you, not his wrath. You want him to be for you, not against you. Let me tell you something. If you want that from this God, you'll have to come to his son to get it. You ain't going to find favor in you. You're not going to find favor in your church. You're not going to find favor in a priest. You're not going to find favor in a religious ordinance. The eternal favor and blessing of God only comes through a person. His name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you need him tonight? It's about eyes are closed for just a moment. You say, yeah, I need him. Why don't you lift your heart to him right now? Why don't you ask him to forgive you? Why don't you ask him in your heart, just drop the reins and turn toward him. Trust what he did for you 2,000 years ago.
He saved me when I was 18. I trusted his son alone to be my savior. Christian, when's the last time you said thank you? Just when's the last time you just said thank you? Our self-absorbed nature so often takes it so for granted. God didn't owe we Gentiles a thing. The Jew could have been enough. But they did reject him. And then he opened it to whosoever will. You ought to say thank you to him. You ought to say thank you to him tonight. Music's playing softly. Just give you a moment to reflect. Give it a moment to respond if you need to. There's mercy. Know the chorus only trust him sing it softly mm. only trust him only trust him only trust him now he will save you he will save you he will save sing that first verse with me it's a good one it's a good one Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. And He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Sing it out. Mm, only trust Him. Only trust Him. Only trust Him now. Yes, He will save you. He will save you. He will save you now. All of God's people said, Hey, I'm closing this invitation over. Let me tell you something about the God of Abraham. His is still open. His is still open. And I've been reading you as I've preached. There's some need. There's some need. Your countenance bereath it. And I would encourage you to go to God to get that need met. Amen. If you're not saved, you cannot imagine the forgiveness and the peace and the joy and the confidence that comes. Finally dropping the reins and finding refuge at the foot of Jesus Christ at the, at, at the Calvary. You need forgiveness. And you need a Savior. Don't make it go a time in eternity without Him. Amen? Amen? And then, Christian, here's the thing. In all of our busyness, don't forget that little thought. We were outside looking in. And there was nothing we could do about it. But then came Jesus. And He changed our eternal standing. And gave us opportunity to have this God as our Father. The God of Abraham, He favors His people. The God of Isaac tomorrow night is the God who... You'll just have to come back tomorrow night to find out. <laughs> but this thing builds, and I'm telling you, you'll walk away with such an incredible understanding of who your God is and how He operates.
as this true and living God. Amen. You come back if you can. Be sure to invite a guest. If you are a guest tonight, see my wife afterwards. She's the matching blue so we don't lose each other. And we'd like to gift you that $30,000 video production as a way of saying thank you for being our guest. Pastor, Lord bless you. Amen. What a wonderful service. Hope you can come back tomorrow night. Bring somebody with you. And I know that there may be people who even go to other churches that you could invite who wouldn't have a Monday night service and come and hear about the God of Isaac, I'm assuming, tomorrow night. Yes. Don't want to assume too much, but I think, think that's where we're headed with this. And yeah, that's great. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For all that's taken place already today, we thank you for the 17-year-old young man who was saved this morning after the service and realized that he needed God's unmerited favor in his life, God's grace. And I pray that you should be with every person in this room. Be with those who still need you as Savior, that you would convict their hearts to the point where they would turn to you. And I pray that you would help families to make a commitment to be here this week and that you would just cause revival to take place in our hearts as we commit to you. Bless now our refreshments and fellowship to follow in the other building. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.